freedom. It's an incredible thing. Freedom to love, freedom to decide, freedom to choose what you can do with your entire life. These freedoms are given to us by God because he designed us to be free. Have you ever considered what your life would be like if these freedoms were stripped away? You were captive to someone else? That person forced you to become someone you are not? Coerced you with empty promises? Threatening your life daily to do things that you do not want to do? Freedom. The very thing that God wants for you is gone. There are over 20 million in this world who don't know freedom. They are enslaved by people who sell them for sex and labor. Human trafficking is a $150 billion industry that treats people like a commodity, but they are not. These men, women, and children are real people, not a statistic or a dark fact that we can just ignore. Their lives deserve freedom, freedom from slavery, and freedom in Christ. Their lives count. The You Count campaign started in 2007 and is a growing, thriving team of volunteers that work to increase awareness of the crime of global sex trafficking and support at-risk women, children, and survivors of sex slavery. We do this through three fronts, global projects, domestic efforts, and our unique marketplace. We are driven by one simple and powerful force, Jesus. We are a Christ-centered ministry that believes that every life is full of value and potential, and that we have a responsibility to bring help and hope to individuals who are vulnerable or directly impacted by sex trafficking. Our global efforts have led us to prayerfully and financially support initiatives across India, Spain, Guatemala, and the U.S. by helping to provide several safe living and working environments, a red light district care center, college scholarships to children born in the brothels, operational funding, as well as providing funding for many local anti-trafficking efforts. Since 2007, we have been able to send over $1.7 million to help fund frontline organizations and projects like these. The United States is not immune to sex trafficking. Here in Colorado, 123 minors were recovered from sex trafficking in 2016. U-Count's domestic strategy is to collaborate with local initiatives to leverage our work and not duplicate services. We leverage partnership with community collaboration, victim services, and community education, and are proud to partner with organizations like Free Our Girls, Streets Hope, and Sarah's Home. Each of these organizations are making great efforts in preventing and protecting victims from sex trafficking here in the United States. Our marketplace has a significant purpose as we partner with frontline organizations in five countries to provide sustainable and alternative income to women coming out of the sex industry. By using the direct trade model, these handcrafted products are sold on our website to generate revenue. In fact, we have sold over $500,000 of their products to help these women as their business develops. 
In addition to funding, we partner with these women to provide business mentoring and product development to help sustain freedom in their lives. And we won't stop there. Alongside our personal and corporate donors and volunteers, we will continue our fight on human trafficking. There is much work to be done. We have ambitious plans with our ongoing projects in Spain and Guatemala. On the domestic front, we are excited to partner with an anti-human trafficking organization in Colorado called Free Our Girls. Our marketplace will continue to import and develop quality products to sell as we increase online sales and create meaningful partnerships with retail stores around the country to carry our products. As we look at our progress and the lives God has allowed us the privilege to help, our hearts are filled with gratitude to Him and everyone who has generously partnered with us. Thank you for giving your time, resources, and most of all your prayers. We are grateful for our past and anticipate a powerful future as together we change their stories. So our theme for this U-Count celebration is change their story. Two and a half thousand years ago, a trafficked prophet, his name was Jeremiah, spoke a message to a trafficked people, the people of Israel, specifically Judah. They were in exile. And he gave them words of hope in the message version of Jeremiah 29 and verses 10 and 11. God says this, I'll show up and take care of you as I promised and bring you back home. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future that you hope for. God was saying, I'm going to change your story. Isn't it true that from our earliest years, we are nurtured on stories? They are ingrained in our consciousness. Nursery rhymes. I'm was thinking about a few this week, and help me out, people. Join in if you know them. Baba, black sheep. Strange question to ask a sheep, but there you go. Old MacDonald, E-I-E-I-O. Amen to that. Hickory, dickory, duck. The mouse ran up the clock. And, and here's one that has provoked a lot of questions for me. I agonize over these things. Uh, come with me in it. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Yes, they did. Jack fell down, so sad, broke his crown. I've got questions, people. I mean, why go to the top of the hill to fetch a pail of water when the water source is normally at the bottom of the hill, let's face it? What was he thinking? And did Jill go up there willingly, or was she coerced by Jack and pressurized? Not only that, but a searching question, did Jack trip? Or was he pushed? <laughs> you see, stories are part of our lives from our earliest years. Alastair McIntyre said, it is through hearing stories about wicked stepmothers, lost children, good but misguided kings, that children learn or mislearn both what a child and what a parent is, what the cast of characters may be in the drama into which they are born, and what the ways of the world are. He says, deprive children of stories, and you leave them unscripted. Stories matter. 2,600 years ago, the people of 
Jerusalem had been given a story by their oppressors. It went like this. You don't matter. You have no power. We're in control. You are helpless. This was a time when little Israel was being bossed around by three superpowers, Assyria to the north, Egypt to the south, Babylon to the east. And many of God's people had been killed. Many of them had been trafficked, exiled. The brightest and the best of them transplanted a thousand miles from their homes. And Jeremiah, the prophet himself, would become a trafficked person, taken off to Egypt against his will. You can read about it in Jeremiah 43. These people were living in a sad narrative, a tragic story. But then God broke in. And perhaps in the more familiar words of the NIV, God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God was saying, I'm changing your story. I'm wiping the tears away. Laughter and joy is going to result. As we celebrate all that has been done, is being done, and will be done through our Count ministry this weekend, there are some foundational truths that I think are really important for us as we change their story. The first one is this. God is the God of the great story. God is the God of the great story. We know that stories provoke and they entertain and they, they teach us values and they emotionalize information. The Bible is a story, a true story. And, and here's the reality. God wants all of humanity, every single human being on this planet, to live in alignment with his loving story. C.S. Lewis calls it the great story. Tom Wright calls it the big fat story of God. And we look in the Bible and we get the once upon a time. Eden, creation, we know the beginning. We know the middle. Jesus comes, shows us how to live, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension. And we have, if you will, the happily ever after. They all lived happily ever after part of the story in the creation of new heaven and new earth and God marching into eternity with his family. God wants us to live in his story. And when we don't have a story, we lose the plot we certainly see that in the life of Israel, which is why God gave various mechanisms to remind them of the true story. They tasted the story on their taste buds as they ate unleavened bread to celebrate the Passover. They scribbled the story on the doorposts of their homes. They wore the story, tying symbols to their heads and their hands. And they sang and danced the story, and altars and stone pillars were made to commemorate the story. And they constructed the story in buildings and uh, the tabernacle, the temple. And the furniture makers carved the story, and the sculptures sculpted it, and the metal workers hammered it out, and the jewelers set it in stone, and they smelled it as the incense was offered in the worship. And the priests participated in the drama with their robes and their turbans. God was saying, don't forget the real story. What is the gospel, the Christian message? It's the true story of grace, which God invites every one of us to participate in. When we celebrate the work of you count, this is not just, oh, that's nice, that's a good thing to do, isn't it? That's socially conscious, and all of those things are true. But we are echoing 
the reverberation of the heart of God, the God of the true story. But the second thing is this, there are lies. There are lies, works of fiction. We know that back in Eden, there was a snake in the grass. Has God said, the suggestion from the devil, that God's factual story perhaps was fictional, but the lie was the fiction. And that fiction brought the fall of humanity. Bad stories create horror. If you doubt that, consider Nietzsche's death of God and the idea of man being a superman. Strands which fed into the horrors of the Second World War. Bad stories create tragedy. Traffic people are told lies. They're told you're powerless, you're worthless, you're nobody, you're nothing, no one cares, you're a commodity. Often they are controlled by psychological control or economic imprisonment or violent threat. Although if you're under 18, no threat of violence needs to be proven to actually convict a person for trafficking. They lose control and they are fed a lie. But here's the thing. Often we can buy a lie as well. The lie is it's not our problem. The lie is that we're powerless. There's nothing that we can do. The lie is that only I count and you don't. I had to come back home this week through Chicago airport and I almost got into a fight. Yeah. Some of you are really sitting up right now. It's kind of awkward if you're a pastor getting into a fight, you know. Uh, the place was packed. There were flight delays. I don't like airports anyway. They're emotional black holes filled with people who are only there because they want to be somewhere else. That's the, that's the truth. And, and we went into this restaurant, which was packed out. Every, but there were a couple of seats, and so Kay and I sat down. And there was a chair opposite, and on this chair sat a really gorgeous, expensive-looking bag. I mean, leather and fur. This, this thing was pricey. Well, we're sitting there, and I don't know who the bag belongs to. This older lady comes up, uh, actually thinking about it. She's probably my age. And she came up, and she said, is this your bag? I said, no, ma'am, it's not. And she's just about to move it. I was going to help her. And this, this guy... This handsome-looking, like, really expensive clothing, he's sitting at the bar, and he turns around, and he says to the lady, that's my bag. She said, oh, I'm sorry, I wanted to just sit down. He said, don't you touch my bag, I'm finishing up here, and when I'm finished, you can sit down. I am like, go ahead. You just made my day. So I said really loudly, I said, ma'am, please, come and sit down. And she said, oh, I can't, I don't want to make a scene. I said, please, come and sit down in my seat. And as she came over, she whispered to me, you could teach him something. <laughs> I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus. The word of the Lord has come. So I went over, I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, excuse me, uh, sir, I, I just want to get something clear here. Uh, you wanted this lady to stand while you finished up here because you didn't want your bag to touch the floor. Your bag is more important than this. Did I get that right? And he said, well, you're a gentleman. You let her sit down, so we're all good, aren't we? And he threw a punch. So I grabbed his arm because you may not know this, people, but this body is a weapon, baby. I mean... 
I am a coiled spring. And I grabbed his arm and I wrestled him to the floor and I held him down easily and I said, call the police. And everybody in the restaurant stood up and they clapped and cheered and I said, no, it's nothing. Give him the glory. <laughs> no. But that story was true right up to when I said, and he threw a punch. Unbelievable. And he gave me a look that said, if you want to say one more word, I'm going to hurt you. That young man is living with a false story. The story is, I matter more. My bag matters more. And there are lies out there. Sometimes we believe the lie too. Thirdly, there's the wonderful truth. There's the wonderful truth, the future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11, which you often find on Christian refrigerators. You know what I'm talking about? Those magnets, for I know the plans I have for you. And that's good, although we can tend to personalize and individualize that in a way that's inappropriate. This was a message to a nation. And I would suggest that the message of hope is for, a, for us, yes, but for a people group of trafficked people. As we Continue this celebration this weekend. Listen up to stories of hope and future. Well, the last thing is this. Co-writing new biographies, changing their stories, the ripple effect. The ripple effect is our missions theme this year. What can we do to change their stories? Well, our theme as Timberline Church is pray, give, go. We can pray. We can pray for victims of human trafficking. We can pray for rescue and healing, for a loving support system, for safe homes, for new opportunities. We can pray for awareness that people will open their eyes and see that this is going on. We can pray for law enforcement and for legislation. We can pray for men, that men will provide godly models in a world where sometimes our culture just says, well, this is just the way it is. And it is not the way it should be. We can pray for world leaders that they might use their authority and influence to fight injustices of all kind. And we can give our time, our talent, our treasure. We can go, Pastor Darry reminded us last weekend, to not be weary in well-doing, to keep going to create that ripple effect because you rescue one person from trafficking and you break a pattern and you affect a community and their children are not going to be fed into the hopper of trafficking down the line. There is a ripple effect. Back in England, we have some old churches back there and I discovered an, an inscription in an old church in Yorkshire. It says this, in the year 1652, when throughout England all things sacred were either profaned or neglected, this church was built by Sir Robert Shirley, whose special praise it is to have done the best of things in the worst of times. I don't know that gentleman's story, but I do know this. In a time when he felt that darkness was closing in, he determined to play his part to change the story. Our privilege, our opportunity, our joy 
is to change their stories. Would you stand with me if you're able, please? Let's stand together. I wonder if you could do something a little unusual. Would you just take out a pen from your purse, or if you've got a pen, or if you haven't got one, there's one in the seat back in front of you, borrow that, or you can nudge your neighbor and just borrow their pen as well. Bryant Mayers said this, God's story is not just about what God has done, but is also about what God is doing now. God is still writing the story, and incredibly, God has invited us to participate in the writing. The pen is an instrument of writing. You sign the check, the credit card slip. You write the letter to your senator. You write the story. The pen represents that. So why don't we offer ourselves to God like this? Why don't we hold out that pen? Let me grab mine. Just hold it out in front of you. Go ahead. And let's pray. Lord, we stand before you so thrilled with hope and anticipation, grateful for what you have done, thrilled about what you're doing and will do. As we hold out this pen, we invite you to help us to see how we can scribble love into lives so that stories will be changed in our giving, in our volunteering, in our praying. Look at this pen, Lord, because we want to partner with you, the great author and finisher of our faith, to help write the story. As we just have our heads bowed as well, I want to say that maybe there are some of us here this weekend and you're not a Christian and maybe you don't understand everything but you know you want to be I invite you to do this why don't you hold out that pen to God as a way of saying God I want you to write the story from now on there's regrets there's some pretty difficult chapters in my history but I hand my life to you forgive me cleanse me Christ has died on the cross to make that happen as I hold this pen out I invite you to take charge Lord, help us with you to change stories.